Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. We don't really need to say just how disruptive 2020 has been for all of us, but for one group, it's been particularly tough, those in the last year of school. From trying to learn from home, not being able to lean on the friends you see each day on campus, to not knowing if and when you can sit your exams, Year 12 has been quite the test in 2020. So today, we're looking at those who aced their final year and those who didn't to see if that score really means as much as you think it does. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. In mid-December, those who are in the final throes of their school life will be told the number that sums up their 12 or more years of study. It differs from state to state, but whether you're studying for your HSC, your QCE, VCE, your SACE certificate, TCE, ACE, NTCET or WACE, you will be handed paperwork at the end of it all that ranks you and your chances, if you so wish to pursue that path, of qualifying for a place at university. When you're in the midst of it, that number feels like everything. It will cause some to lose sleep as they cram as much of that information into their heads as they can before the final exam. Some will breeze through it, some will find it a tough slog, and some will come out with scores that seem almost impossible. The top ranked 99 percenters. Those students see themselves named ducks of the school. They might be asked to be the focus of news reports that shine a light on the top of the pile. But what happens after the thrill of a top score dies down? Does that number keep impacting their lives and careers after they leave school? Or once they start at university among other similarly talented peers, does that number stop meaning anything at all? Jemima scored an ATAR of 99.95 after completing the International Baccalaureate and scoring 45 out of 45 in her final year of school in Victoria. She says she really enjoyed Year 12. I had a subject in each umbrella area in the IB and it was a tough year with lots of study but I guess I really feel for the year 12s this year having a year 11 sister at the moment and it was quite different in my experience. Would you say that you're the type of student that things come easily to or did you have to really work hard to get your score? A tough work ethic was instilled in my family of girls really early on, and I certainly have that love of learning. I think it does come easily to me, but I certainly had to work and and put in the hours. Well, tell me how you felt when you finally saw that score. I was so surprised. I thought they'd made a mistake. 
I thought there was a likelihood that I'd have a high-ish score because I did put in a lot of work and I just had my sights set on this science degree that needed 86. But then when I saw that perfect score, yeah, I was sort of looking for the mistakes and surely they calculated it wrong. But in the end, it was a real blessing that's kept on giving. Now, your score meant you could choose just about anything you wanted to study, but you said that you chose a course that required a lower Mark, why did you do that and not go for something that your perfect score could only let you and a few others into? I think the message I really want to get home in terms of this to the year 12s is that it's important to do the course that feels right for you and that works in with your life. I'm an elite athlete and I really wanted to try and make an Australian senior team. The Commonwealth Games was happening one year later and I knew that doing a really broad undergrad like science that allowed me the flexibility to train and pursue other passions was right for me and I could then go and specialise later. So focusing in on what's right for you rather than whatever pressures from friends and fam might be going on is an important one. And secondly, knowing that if you finish your 12 feeling a little confused and lost like I did, I mean, I think 18 is quite young to have everything sorted out and your pathway mapped out. So I certainly finished not really knowing a specific area that I wanted to go into. So starting broad with a degree that only required an 86 ATAR just made sense to me. And I had to just really try and block out any of the suggestions that you need to use your ATAR or not stoop so low or do something with a little more prestige, like at least biomedicine or at least law or or whatever. Because ultimately when peers and other students went down that path and fell for that pressure, they end up wanting to change degrees one semester in and it's sort of a waste of time and money. Okay, so double barrel question, where did that lead you? So what do you do now? And did you end up going to the Commonwealth Games? So I'm finishing up the science degree now. I just did it over four years rather than three. And I've just had an interview for the medical postgrad. So hoping to go down the medical line, maybe into public health. And I went to the Com Games and I got a gold medal, actually. So it was a good idea to do what felt right for me and do the science degree. Just FYI, she won that gold medal in the 20-kilometre race walk and was supposed to go to the Olympics this year. But of course, 2020. Fingers crossed for 2021 for you, Jemima. Well, while being a top-notch student can get you into the course of your choosing, it doesn't guarantee success. Likewise, not getting into the course you dreamed of doesn't mean you've failed either. Take it from a very mediocre student who found a back way into journalism because my low 60s score didn't cut it the first time around. But for those who were determined to do well only to find out they hadn't, how did that impact their career path? Gemma was in an accelerated program during her final year of school in Queensland and was expecting to get a single-digit score like her sister, who'd received a two. But she was shocked when she received her results. I went into a mild depression after it, and it took me a while to realise that it's just a number. And no one really cares so long as you put in the effort and completed the time. So I was expected to get a nine, and being in the single digits in Queensland is a really big deal. And as soon as you hit double digits, people go, why'd you bother with an OP? Why didn't you just go vocationary? And so I was supposed to get the nine and I ended up with an 11. And it's a little bit of a difference, but for me, having a sister who got a two, I put so much pressure on myself to just get into that single digit mark. And I felt like a failure when I didn't hit that mark. Now, for those who didn't grow up in Queensland, can you explain how that system works? Because everywhere else in the country, it's the closest you get to a highest score, but it's the opposite or was up until very recently, the opposite in Queensland. 
Yeah, so in Queensland, getting a one means you're genius and getting a 25 is the other end of the score. But sadly, you can't actually get a 25 because your school will ask you to drop out or change to vocationary subjects before then. And that's around the 15 to 17 mark. That's because the entire overall position of the school is affected. So people will change their schools to a private school just to get a higher overall school and be pulled up. So hitting the double digits for me, I mean, I was like four to six away from being asked to drop into vocationary. And that's scary considering I was in accelerated classes from grade eight to grade 12. I should have gotten a higher score. Tell me how receiving that score changed the trajectory of your career path. How did it mix up life for you post-school? Yeah, well, I wanted to go on to become a psychologist and I realized that it was near impossible and that I really didn't have the, well, I guess, the hard work and the commitment that I should have had because during that time at school, I was really focused on more of the social side. And then I went on into sociology when I hit university. Luckily, I was enough to hit that score, but it was an arts degree nonetheless. And I guess that I felt like if I had have put in more work during high school, I would have been able to carry that on throughout university and continue But now I realise being social isn't necessarily a bad thing. And school is about the social side as much as it is the academic side. So what do you do now, Gemma? So now I'm founding my own company, a business for artists to connect, collaborate, create and cash out. And it's called The Art Base. So mixed between tech and art. Do you feel like that number reflects who you are now as a person as much as it did back when you received it? No. So as soon as you get that number, you have maybe three months, four months until you get into university. And then no one asks for that number ever again, ever again. No one's ever asked me what my OP was. And even when you tell them, they don't care. So it's only really for that benchmark to get into uni. And even then, there's still workarounds. And you know you can always get to where you want to be, even if you don't have that number. So we've heard from someone who scored high and someone who scored lower than expected. But what if you ended up with no score at all? Gina had dreams of becoming a doctor or a vet, but in year 10 started to suffer symptoms of a chronic illness, which threw her plans out the window. She ended up completing just two units of art in her final year doing her HSC, leaving her with no university-level entry score, something Gina says took her a while to come to terms with. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to come to terms with in my life. I kind of had this massive ambition for myself where I really thought I would be scoring something like a 98 in the HSC. And I was one of those kids who knew what they wanted to do their whole life. So it was never under question for me. I just had to figure out how I was going to get those marks. And then to be faced with the idea of I wasn't going to graduate school, let alone get a band six. It was a really traumatic thing for me. And I really felt that it was not just a case of me not getting the marks I wanted, not graduating school, not getting the course that I wanted. It was, how am I even going to live the rest of my life? This is all downhill from here. There's something to be said about the shame of not finishing high school. I know people now who even don't really like to talk about it and it's been, you know, 20, 30 years since they left high school. Do you still carry that around with you? It's a weird stigma not finishing high school. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't finish because of my health. So it was actually like out of my hands, but I still take it personally. It still feels like a failure on my part. And I was even talking to my cousin yesterday who also didn't finish high school. And we were kind of bonding over the fact that 
we still feel that it's like one of those failures that sits with us no matter what. And it's an awful feeling and it shouldn't be that awful because it isn't the end of the world. But at the time, high school is your entire world at that age. So it does feel like it's this complete life-changing outcome. Well, let's talk about how it changed your career trajectory. Obviously, studying medicine or vet studies was off the cards at this point. So how did that change your career path? So it completely changed it at first. I kind of didn't know what I was going to do. I was also struggling with my health at the time. So there were multiple barriers for me. And in the end, I worked part-time on the weekends as a cleaner in a real estate company. So it was a really different path for me, but I was just trying to make it work. And I was also just trying to find any kind of scare of independence. And then I started trying to figure out what the long-term plan was going to be and how I was actually going to build a career for myself with the barriers that I was coming up against, not having an HSC and not having that piece of paper that was going to open all these doors for me. And I realized that I was going to have to rely on those other skills of mine that were potentially more important, but no one had told me that they could be more important than my HSA at the time. So I kind of thought about, I've always had people tell me that I'm extremely passionate, that I'm hardworking. I need to now put those skills into a bit of motion. And I started thinking about where am I passionate? Where are the jobs that I can obtain? And I really put my effort into talking to people in those spaces making myself useful, making myself essential, creating social media strategies for companies who hadn't asked for them and just being like, if you need me to jump in at any point, I'm ready to go. Volunteering where I could basically saying, I'll work for nothing, but let me show you how much I want to work for you. And then I started building up a career for myself in a pathway where people thought, okay, well, I don't even need to see Gina's CV because I trust that she's going to work really hard for us. I trust that she's going to give it her all and that this is going to work out. And so I built that up. I worked for a couple of companies and started getting myself together. And then I was like, okay, do you know what? I think I can actually employ myself at this point. I don't want to go through the process of having to produce a CV that doesn't say that I went to uni and and all of that stuff. And I created my own company, which is the Cova Project, which is a charity. And now we bring on interns and I'm constantly looking at CVs and I'm not looking for those HSC marks. I'm not looking for those universities. I'm looking for a cover letter that shows passion and shows drive and someone who's actually going to be a great team member for the COVID project, not a great exam taker. So as the class of 2020 sits for the end of year exams, what advice to all our different end of school survivors have for those in the middle of it all right now? The numbers, certainly not everything. And I mean, particularly the year 12s who have gone through this big ride of the year. I think that they need to give it everything they've got, but there's so many reasons for them to be proud of themselves. And regardless of whether they surprise themselves in a good way and get an ATAR that's higher than what they expected or the opposite happens, I think that nothing's definitive. Not to be afraid to do the course that feels right to you Or even just acknowledge that just because you have an ATAR doesn't mean you necessarily have to use it. I mean, some students might choose to become a lady startup and start their own business or do a trade or just travel for a while and continue to pursue other passions. There are really so many options. Focus in on the skills that you're learning versus a number. A number doesn't give you anything other than a benchmark to get into uni. As a future employer, I would never ask anyone what their HSC or OP score is. I'd want them to be able to talk more about everything else and what they can do rather than one number. The world is so much more than school. The world is so much more than your HSC. The world is so much more than any exam. 
And it's all about knowing that you are a full human with many different skills and talents and you can apply those however you want. And the advice from this very mediocre student that I wish someone had given me, it's stop comparing yourself to everyone else. You're not a great student, that's fine. You might be better out in the real world where you learn on the job. So that number, which just quietly, I can't even really remember exactly what it was, it only set me up on the path that I'm on right now. And it's a pretty damn good one. And yours can be good too. Good luck, class of 2020. Now is when it all begins. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri and guest booking by Mel Zauer. And if you have some feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. Good or bad, as long as it's constructive, send it our way. Just rate and review us in your favourite podcast app today. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.